Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would grab your Bibles and open up to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, verses 1 through 7 will be our passage this morning as we continue in our Advent series. And Advent is a season, like we've been talking about, where we are waiting in hope uh, for the arrival. It's a season, and it's really double meaning, where we as the church are celebrating the fact that Jesus was sent, that he came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died the death that we deserve, and that he rose again and now reigns at the right hand of the Father. And it's a secondary meaning that we're still hoping in this Jesus that he will one day return again to take all of us home as his children. And so it's, it's the season that we stretch out in the church, in the, in the history of the church, in the church calendar, where we focus our attention and our hearts on all that Christ has done. And so our passage this morning, and we've been walking through really how Jesus, and this, this wasn't the plan B, that, that, that all the way in the beginning since Genesis, the arrival of this one, this great redeemer to come was in the mind of God since the very beginning. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been journeying through the Old Testament to see of this great hope that we have, Christ our Savior. And we're going to see him again in the prophet Isaiah. So I'm going to read these verses, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, these wonderful passages from the prophet Isaiah, beginning in verse 1, chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephitali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So why Jesus came and why Jesus matters were given to in this passage. Isaiah gives us some wonderful insights as to why Jesus came and why Jesus matters to us today. Today. And so right out of the gate, verses 1 and 2, this is, this is amazing. This is something that's landed on me in a fresh way this week. Jesus makes people in anguish his first priority. 
Right out of the gate, the prophet Isaiah says, this son that's going to be given to us, he is coming for people in anguish. He makes people in suffering and in anguish his very first priority. Listen to it again, verses one and two. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephitali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the way, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light on those whom those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now the key words here in these two verses are gloom, anguish, contempt, and darkness. And on the other hand, we're given what juxtaposes those. When this sun comes, when this royal sun comes, he will bring light and glory. And so what the prophet is talking about here is oppression versus liberation, oppression versus freedom. People who are walking in darkness, who are in bondage, are now given light and are now given relief versus their anguish. Darkness versus light. So back in chapter 8 in Isaiah, Isaiah sort of uh, paints the scene for us more fully. I'm just going to read one verse. It's the last verse in chapter 8. If you have your Bible, just turn back one chapter, Isaiah 8, 22. This is sort of the scene. This is the, the context that these people find themselves in. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish. They will be thrust into thick darkness. That's bad news. In other words, this gloom that it's talking about, this darkness is human anguish, right? So this, this son that's going to be born is going to be born into this darkness and into this gloom to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, that these people cannot do for themselves. And ground zero for this horrible human experience of anguish that the prophet Isaiah is describing for us is Galilee. Is Galilee. Now, Galilee, why, why is Galilee? What's, why, why is the prophet, why would that be this epicenter or ground zero, if you were, uh, for this experience of deep, thick darkness that he's describing? Because Galilee in Israel is in, in the north. So just some geography. So what the prophet is, is getting at, what he's talking about, is Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. And here's why uh, they were the epicenter of this human anguish and all this darkness that the prophet's talking about. Because in history, when foreign invaders wanted to come in and overthrow Jerusalem and overthrow this epicenter of power and influence and prestige, which was Jerusalem, these invaders from the east, the Babylonians and the Assyrians, that wanted to get at the resources and the power and the prestige of Jerusalem, had an uncrossable desert. So they had to march up and around this uncrossable desert 
to come down into Jerusalem in the very first city that they would encounter as invading armies longing to get into Jerusalem to overthrow them, to oppress them, to take the resources and the fertile ground which was, that, that, that was there. The first place they would hit as they walked around this uncrossable desert coming down from the north was Galilee, Assyria, the Babylonians, Time after time after time would hit this very first northern city of Galilee and oppress them and enslave them. Uh, And so the prophet Isaiah is saying this place is a place that is marked with human anguish and human suffering. Galilee of the nations. It is where the people dwell in deep darkness because they always hit Galilee first they had a history of just being a people that suffered from these brutal nations church that is why Jesus started his ministry in Galilee Matthew's gospel, while giving the accounts of his ministry, quotes Isaiah, these very verses, to explain why world redemption was launched from Galilee. Now Jesus, yes, he would eventually get to Jerusalem, which was to the south, which is the center of prestige and power and influence, but he made people who suffer his first priority. He made the people in anguish his very first priority as he launched his ministry. This son that was given, he starts in Galilee of the nations. Isn't that great insight into the heart of God, church? Isn't that a beautiful insight into the very heart of God that God sends this royal son the great hope that we've been talking about that was thought of even in the garden, this one son that would crush the head of the serpent, the great hope of everything that they've been waiting for, everything that we've been waiting for, first moves toward people in suffering and in anguish as his very first priority. People who have been positioned even just by sheer geography of where they've been placed by circumstance, some of them, in the midst of suffering, who have experienced to a large degree, to a greater degree, invasion and injury, and now find themselves in tremendous weakness. Those are the very people, Jesus says, I'm going to you first. I'm going to you first. Those are the very people most on the heart of God as he sends his royal son. Jesus says, many who are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. This thought, this prophecy, this reality that we now know because Christ has come is coming, and it has begun And the world as we know it will not be as it is now because he's coming again to make good in all the things that this prophecy talks about. He will fulfill one day. It is a great hope. It has been a great hope and it is our great hope and it is found in this one child that will be born unto us. See, the world is always looking for 
uh, a winner, is always looking for momentum, is always looking and drawn toward prestige. Um, we know that firsthand if you live in this area. I mean, we have the number one place to live in the entire world, the woodlands, you know, whatever. There's like flags everywhere, you know. Like we are, we love that stuff. We like, oh, people like they said we're the like. I don't know who they are. I don't know who votes that. I don't know. They, I think they just made a sign and claimed it. But we we love that. We like we anchor to that. We think that's so awesome. And we're like, we want to blog. I live in the number one city in the entire globe. And you're like, wow, I've never heard of that. You know, we we. The world is drawn to prestige. The world is drawn to big dealness. The world is drawn to things that win, and we want to jump on the bandwagon. We love the platform, and we love to just be in the sails and in the same current as things that are going uh, really, really awesome, because we want to be counted in that. We want to draw and we want to get some of the glow of that. That's part of the human experience. But that is not the way of God. He doesn't need our momentum. He doesn't need uh, fake flags to hang up on light poles that announce things. Um, He creates his own momentum, and it is very different, and it is always very surprising, and it is a gigantic adjustment for us because it's so different. The way of God is so upside down. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. What? It's so different. And here we read in the prophet Isaiah that he gives his heart and his light and his glory first to people who count for nothing, to expendable people, to forgotten people, not to prestigious people. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. That's why he came first, to start his ministry in Galilee of the nations. Because what does our boasting and what does our pride always create? Uh, Our pride and our swollen images and our boasting and our uh, positioning for power and our big dealness and our bragging and our uh, all of the things that we tend toward, that we lean toward, that we think are so um, appealing in the world, they always and inevitably create darkness and anguish and gloom and human suffering. Because with pride and arrogance of humanity, always, always crushes those in your way to get what you're after. You step on people along the way, and it creates suffering. That's the human race. That's history. And Jesus went to those people who were being crushed. He went to the wounded. He moved toward need, not away from it. It struck me this week. And it was from this unlikely place, it was from this despised place 
that God began something new in a dark world. It started in Galilee of the nations, and it will not stop until the universe is renewed, and it started in Galilee. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That prophecy ends. Uh, God is really the opposite of often how we react to suffering and anguish and all these things. We look at it and we feel overwhelmed. We feel helpless. We feel, I don't know what to do. I feel, uh, sometimes we're like, geez, I thought this was Christmas and it was like supposed to be like about singing carols and lights and all that good stuff. What's with all this gloom and anguish and garments rolled in blood? Like, is that really a Christmas passage? Yes, it is. Because God doesn't look at human suffering and doesn't look at anguish and doesn't look at the real experience that often we deal with even in our own darkness. He doesn't look the other way and he doesn't pretend it doesn't exist and he doesn't just gloss over it and give it a veneer. He moves toward it. And his radiant light shines on it to bring hope to the hopeless. That's Christmas. A hopeless situation. No way out. God shows up in the most surprising of ways. He doesn't doesn't turn away. He doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. Jesus moves toward people in anguish and in suffering. Only Christ can make the place of suffering into the place of newness and light and glory. That's Christmas. Church, are you suffering today? I've talked, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. One of the dangers of this season is that we can be in a place where we just feel alone and we feel We feel this darkness. You may be in a place right now where you are experiencing some level of anguish. Is that you this morning? What is your personal darkness? Christ can enter into that very place with light and hope and love. And he can shine on you in that very place. That's the beautiful hope of Christmas. Um, Only Jesus is a redeemer. He is the only one that can pull you out of that. And he gives himself most to the least of these. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the emphatic word there, theirs. So if you are in suffering right now, if you are in a spot where you're like, this, I just... I've got some darkness. I've got some things I'm working through. I've got some things I'm walking through and it's hard and I am in a tough spot. I've got this family member. I've got this child. I've got this thing that's going on that is a shadow on me and it feels dark and you're walking through it and you're going through it and it is difficult. You are the very ones most on the heart of God. And he is moving toward you, not away from you. And he's not telling you to just ignore it and put a smile on your face because it's Christmas. He's saying, because it's Christmas, you can be in that place and be lifted out of it with the very light of Christ, this one that has come that will illumine the darkness like only he can do. Now, I want to be very clear about this because this is is something, a danger I think we can all have in this season. Um. Isaiah 
is not talking about wishful thinking. The prophet is not describing sentimentalism. A lot of us love this season because it's sentimental, because it's, we, we, we can kind of think that it's uh, this holiday spirit that we kind of want to tap into. Isaiah is not describing sentimentalism. He's not describing uh, a, a feeling or a, uh, a, just a longing that's not actual reality. Listen to verse 2. On them a light has shone. It's not a feeling, but an object of reality. It's not a, a good feeling has washed over you. On them a light, a real light. It's bright and it's blinding and it's shone and it's bright as the noonday sun. And it is an adjustment because if you've been in deep darkness, it's like I, re- I don't like going to see movies in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, ask anyone that knows me. It's like if you ask me, I don't want to go. I don't like it. I don't like the feeling. It feels weird walking outside after being in a dark movie theater. And it's like, it's like one in the afternoon and it's bright and it's like an adjustment because you've been in this dark room. I like walking out and it's still kind of this, right? It's this idea, you, it, you're in darkness and light has just washed over you and you're shielding your eyes. This light is a, an, an adjustment to this new reality. And the light that they are experiencing, no way depends on them. They're not causing the light. They're surprised by this light that's shining on them, these people in darkness. On them, a light has shone. It is exterior to them. That's the heart of the gospel, that we need something outside of ourselves to save us. It can't happen, uh, you can't muster it up inside. It is an exterior thing that God provides that comes into our reality and changes us profoundly forever. The gospel is a declaration that there is a higher throne. And this royal son is its king. And Christ has now come and we celebrate him this Advent season. And we know one day he will come again and enact all of these things that the prophet Isaiah talks about. Us, talks about. And it is a real change in real reality. Not just wishful thinking. God is promising here in Isaiah 9 that the end of sadness and darkness and evil will be washed away by the glory and the light of God. And church, hear this this morning. If you belong to Jesus, that light and that glory shine and rest on you forevermore. It's yours in Christ. Now, if you are a Jerusalem person and things are going your way and your five-year plan always comes to fold and everything is just always awesome and wonderful and, you know, you're just, you don't really need God. Things are defined. You know, I kind of just always get what I want because I make it happen. He, he might get around to you. But if you are today a Galilee person and you know anguish and things haven't gone the way you'd hoped or thought and you have some pain and you've walked through some suffering and there's some gloom in you and you've tasted despair, you are uppermost in the heart of God today.
He could not love you more. Those who are in darkness have seen a great light. And then look at what that light brings with it in verse 3. Gloom and anguish become joy and rejoicing. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. And then look at the way this joy is described in these verses. It's as with joy at the harvest. Resources are now given to you, are distributed. You're cared for. It's like joy at the harvest when you bring in all of the, the labor that has happened. Even if you've just walked into it, even if you didn't even labor for it, you've walked into the joy of the harvest because God has done the work. They are glad when they divide the spoil. It's like you have a joy as a victor in a battle. Your king has won. You can celebrate. You are now a part of this people that is a celebrating people. It's the joy of the free. He's freed you. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. It's the end of oppression. You've been rescued by God like the day of Midian. I wish I had time to go into all of it, but the defeat of Midian is a story found in Judges. And it was this wonderful victory, not just because it was a victory, but because of the type of victory that it was. It was an unusual and surprising victory, just like this royal son that's going to come. He's going to come in a surprising and unusual way that God will get all the glory. So this, this, this battle that God had deliberately shrunk down his army that was 32,000 men. He shrunk them down to 300 to show that the victory was going to do nothing with human strength or ingenuity. The rescue that is coming is just like as in the day of Midian. It is surprising. And it's not just going to be an end of, of one battle or the end of one war. This victory will be the end of all wars. Verse 5, for every boots of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Merry Christmas. <laughs> what is that talking about? It says, <clears throat> every boot, so think about this. The United States Armed Forces totals about 1,300,000 active personnel in all the branches of the military. That's a lot of boots, but it's not just our army. It's every boots of every soldier in all, the, in all of the planets of every army will be gathered up and will be burned as fuel for the fire because there's no more need for the boots of soldiers. That is the promise to his people when Christ comes back again to rule and to reign. The oppression of being slaves to sin for you and I has been burned up in Jesus and one day he will come back again and he will sit on his throne and he will rule with goodness and righteousness. Christmas is hope for the oppressed, for the occupied, for those who feel stuck in darkness. On them a great light has shone. And this passage moves us on to show us the surprising way we and God will win this victory for all of us. And all of the things that we just read, all those wonderful verses will happen because of verse 6. This is the surprising way. This is the way that no one would ever write it. This is the way that, you, what? For unto us a child is born. 
To us, a son is given. It is more surprising than the victory and defeat of Midian. This one that will have every boot burned up and all these wonderful things we've read about is coming because we would think we, we need like a Marvel superhero coming on the scene. This, this needs to be that kind of origin story. Now, a baby is going to be born. A child is born. And what God is going to do has nothing to do with human strength or human cunning or human ingenuity. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need prestige. A child is born. And what are his credentials? He tells us. Down as we continue on in verse 6. His credentials are this. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. Now names in the Bible... Uh, describe the character of someone. They don't just like randomly pick a name uh, in the biblical times because it's like kind of cool or it's trending or whatever. It's, they, they, they define and they describe the character of that person. So this is describing this son that will be born unto us. This is what he is. This is what he is like. Wonderful counselor. His teaching is going to be breathtaking. When Jesus came and people heard his teaching, they said, that, like, what did he just say? No one else has ever spoken like this man. No one else has ever said these things before. No one else can teach the scriptures and the scrolls like he has. His words have effect. They have impact like no one else's words ever have or ever will. Listen to the words of the woman at the well after she encounters the wonderful counselor in John 4, 29. Come, see a man that told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The wonderful counselor. Church, my challenge this Christmas is to read and listen to the words of this wonderful counselor. Read a gospel this week. He is a wonderful counselor. His words are power. Next, he's mighty God. He's mighty God. We live in a culture where there's like the, it's the new thing, it's the gender reveal thing and people spend like, uh, $10,000 to have balloons filled with different colors of glitter and like, and then we're like, we make like my kids the best at this and oh my gosh, did you, like they're two days old and they're already speaking like he's gonna be the next president of the United States. Everyone thinks their kid is the very best and your kid, yes, is the very best and the most beautiful and the most wonderful. But here, he, he is God. This Child is God. This is a human being born that it will be utterly appropriate to bow down and worship him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. God gives to us that which we need the most. It's Christmas time. A lot of, a lot of us give presents to one another. A lot of times you get presents uh, and you're given things that people think you need. Ever experienced that? Like, 
If you got like a lot of sweaters one year, you're like, maybe your clothes are a little out of date or something, or you got some new shoes, you're like, it's time to retire those. My wife had that conversation with me just the other day. My shoes are falling apart. It's time to retire those. One pastor friend of mine for like three consecutive years, one of his friends got him a joke book, thought he needed a little help. You know, he was a little dry. Um, It's like, hint, hint, here's a little help for you. Uh, God knows exactly what we need. And he sent to us himself. He sent to us himself. God gave us the gift of gifts. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. God knows you. God made you. And he gives us what we need the most himself. A mighty God. He's also everlasting father. The Bible, as the story unfolds, we see that this child is the eternal son of the eternal father. And uh, yes, he is the eternal son, yet he has father-like qualities in him. The Bible father is not sort of... um, the passive dad syndrome, the Homer Simpson that maybe you watched growing up or the guy hiding behind the sports page that's just looking for any excuse to go golfing with his buddy. That is not the father described in the scriptures. A father is characterized by someone who is deeply caring and who is giving and comes along and gives strength to the weak. He is protective, he is caring, he is nurturing, and he brings together that which is his, and he provides refuge and shelter to those who need it. These qualities are perfectly expressed in Jesus, and they're applied to you and I. They're expressed in his death and resurrection, by which we now have forgiveness of sins. They're expressed through him giving to us the spirit of God that equips us as his saints for the work of ministry. They're expressed in the gifts that he gives to each one of us, empowered by the spirit that are meant to edify one another and build up the body of Christ. His care for us is everlasting. And finally, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Through him, we find true and eternal peace between ourselves, each other, and our creator. And it's not just the absence of hostility, but it is the presence, the real presence of deep, glorious peace, connection, friendship, camaraderie with the God of the universe through this one that has come to us. And then when we follow him and we obey him and what he has called us to, we begin to find peace with one another because we have now peace with him. And it's this beautiful thing. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And notice it says, his name shall be called. I noticed this last night. Not his names, Not plural, singular, his name. These four things, they're inseparable. It's not a buffet. You don't come to this child and think, oh, I could really use a wonderful counselor today. I'm good on the God front. I kind of do my own thing. Oh, and I'd like a little uh, hint of peace too. That would be nice. Because it's, after all, it's Christmas. 
And I'll, I don't want to be a jerk this month, next month maybe. It's not a buffet. It's all of them. We don't get to come to him and pick and choose which ones we want. He is this way. Jesus is only any of these things to us because he is all of these things to us. God wants you to enjoy the entire feast, not just a little bit of it. He wants you to have all of who he is. This man is like no other man that he's come to us. And he's come to rule, and his rule will grow and increase forever and ever and ever. Listen to this. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. His reign will be perfect, and it will always be increasing. And he will rule with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Unlike our current administrations, whichever one you pick and whatever season you pick in history, whatever side you land on that you think is the great hope that we have, if only this person would get into office. Um, his promises are true. The only one. It's not an administration that's gonna have big promises and disappear. His reign will be perfect and he will rule with justice and with righteousness. And he will always do what's right. And all of this is guaranteed by verse seven. I love this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Undergirding everything is God's commitment to do this. Not your performance to see it happen, but God's commitment to see it come to pass. This is his zeal. We don't use that word anymore. He's zealous for this. This is his passion. This is what fires up God. So you can never be more in line with the heart of God than when you are exalting Jesus Christ because Christ is his zeal. He is zealous for this one that he has sent and all of his promises bank on this royal son that was born. Christ. God is zealous for this and he will see it come to pass. That's what Christmas is all about. That's who Christmas is all about. This one who has this great name and he will rule. And we're reminded in verse six that this son doesn't just show up. He doesn't just puff into existence. It says he is given. The son is given. And a gift that is given, church, needs to be received. It needs to be received. This son that we just got done talking about, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace of his government will always be increasing. Have you received him? If you never have, if maybe you sort of come in and out and you think that this is kind of nice for the family and a good thing to do at the holidays, if you've never received this royal son that was given to you, this greatest gift that was given to you, for unto us a child is born, would you receive him today? Only he can shine the light of hope and glory on you. Nothing else will work. 
Nothing else we chase after will find fulfillment and rest and peace like the Prince of Peace can give to us this Christmas and forevermore. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we thank you that this child was in the very mind of God from the very beginning, that there wasn't a plan B, that this wasn't an afterthought, that this son that was given, Lord, was given to us. And Lord, we can receive him, and when we do, Lord, a light shines on us from outside of us that lifts us out of the deep darkness we find ourselves in. And Lord, this child that is given now to us becomes a wonderful counselor. His words to us are precious. He's mighty God. He reigns. He rules with righteousness. He's everlasting father. He cares for us. He's a shelter for us. Where we are weak, he is strong. And he is our prince of peace. Where there's hostility, where there is pride, where there is arrogance, his light breaks forth and brings peace and shalom where there is chaos and darkness. And so it is on this morning, God, that we long to sing and raise our voices and declare the goodness of this one that you have sent to us. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, we stand and worship with us.